Welcome to Renegade Inc. There seems to be one rule for me, yet another for thee. And it's this hypocrisy that author Charlie Robinson takes on in his most recent book, Hippocrazy. His argument is clear. As much as the powers that be tell us that things are normal, there is no alternative, and that this is the natural order of events, it really isn't. None of what we're experiencing is normal. And more importantly, there is an alternative. Charlie Robinson, welcome back to Renegade Inc. Really great to have you on the program again. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. As a best-selling author, another offering, no less. A prolific workload you could do uh, there. Uh, tell us about Hippocrazy. Have I got the pronunciation of that right? Well, I've been calling it hypocrisy. It's just a, it's a play on the word hypocrisy, which is obviously rampant these days. Uh, I realized early on that I was, in fact, a hypocrite as the... Uh, Ed Snowden revelations are coming out about the spying of the NSA. And while I'm hearing this and frustrated in my own self, I'm simultaneously installing a baby monitor over my daughter's crib so that I can spy on her every move and listen to her and make sure that I keep an eye on her. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, what a hypocrite I am, right? I mean, how dare me? I'm, I'm installing this surveillance system. But then I thought, well, no, no. I'm the dad and it's my job to make sure that I, that she's protected and all of these things. And then it, it took me to a place where, God, is that how they think about us? Do they think that they're the dad and that they're managing us? And so it made me realize that, look, we're all hypocrites on some level. That's not the greatest trait to have, but uh, we're all guilty of it. But I think uh, where we differ from places like the, or institutions like the government or the media is that we recognize it as a negative trait and they of course see it as a positive one. So um, we're living in such a insane world. I figured the best thing to do was document it, uh, put together 480 footnotes to give people a place to go to double check my work so that they can see that the insanity that I am pointing out to them is not just uh, uh, my opinion on things, but a measurable observation that can be fact checked. So yeah, we've had some downtime <laughs> rather than <laughs> sitting around waiting. Um, it seemed like a really uh, proper time to get to work and, and talk about some of the insanity that we're seeing in the world and also have a good laugh at it because let's be honest i mean if you don't if you can't laugh at some of the things that we've experienced in the last 18 months then uh you're gonna be crying so um wow. i choose to look at it from a glasses half full but still have a still have a good a, a good time with it while while simultaneously uh hammering down some really serious points laugh and the world laughs with you cry and you cry alone you certainly uh you're certainly making a smile through this book the strap line for the book surviving in a world of cultural double standards. And this is the hypocrisy bit that you get at, isn't it? Um, and I suppose uh, when you look at the US, the developed West, however you want to define you know, uh, developed economies, the problem that citizens have is when they see that their leaders are um, incompetent, that's when they begin to really lose faith. And it's this hypocrisy right at the middle of that incompetence that really uh, grinds with people, grates with people, isn't it? I think we're willing to tolerate a certain level of incompetence, but when that incompetence becomes intentional, when they say one thing and do another, 
uh, that's when we start to take this uh, in a different path. I mean, it's frustrating. And, and of course, we understand that these people are human beings and they're going to make mistakes. But it seems like the mistakes always benefit a certain type of person, a certain class of person. It always kind of goes in their way. And they say, oh, well, mistakes were made. You know, Donald Rumsfeld would always come out and say, mistakes were made. No you made the mistakes it wasn't just the universe creating these mistakes they're because of you i don't we want to move forward we don't want to live in the past oh meaning i don't want you to look into the things that i've done in the past so there's a right. lot of this and i think that the media has done a great job of covering up for these people for a long long time but it's becoming harder and harder to cover for their their arrogance their outright lies and criminality, and we're seeing that. And, and once you see it, it's really hard to unsee it. You open the book by saying there's nothing worse than being a hypocrite. And to be fair, we're all guilty of it from time to time. Saying one thing whilst doing something else is never a winning strategy or a good look, as people always notice these things. Let's put some of our differences aside and come together to recognize that the predator class is trying to manipulate humanity, and they're doing a fantastic job but they've made some absurd mistakes along the way. Uh, as if you need to, just define the predator class for us. Well, you know, we call it the 1%, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to do with people that are wealthy. Um, it is the, it's the, it's the segment of society that wants to tell everybody else how to behave. Ah. It's the, it's the, it's the psychopaths that rise to the top. You see, when you, when you offer people power, and money and influence and whatever it is that they are, their hearts desire, uh, you're going to attract the wrong type of people. And in Washington, D.C., and though it's not limited to D.C., you're going to find that the halls of justice and Congress are filled with the types of people that are attracted to things like power and influence and money and control and liking to tell other people what to do and how to manage their lives. So you wind up by default with the worst types of people. You don't get people like you and me that come in and say, hey, listen, let's just let everybody uh, use their own best judgment and let's try to keep you know some flexible rules, but keep things moving along. No, these people come in, they have a very specific way that they see us. They see us as serfs, and if it were up to them, we would go back to uh, the kings and serfs where they run the, the castle and we're out on the fields working for them day in and day out. And uh, we just thank our lucky stars that they're there to provide us for food. And I think that, Amer I think that in America in general, we're just not willing to participate in that. And we're not, we're not interested in that. So there's a breakdown happening in society where a lot of people are starting to recognize this. They're starting to say, hang on a second. We voted for you if you're a political person. We voted for you to represent us. I don't feel like you're representing us at all. In fact, not only do I not feel like that, but I can look and see where you've received your campaign finance money. And it's from all the wrong people and all the wrong organizations. So how can you say that you're going to represent us when you're taking money from Lockheed Martin or Monsanto or these, these institutions? So that's the predator class. They have a different view of us. It is, um, it's not the way we would do things if we were in charge. But unfortunately, uh, you know, we're here documenting it. And, and not actually the ones that are setting policy. One of the uh, handmaidens to all of this, some uh, organizations that facilitate it are the corporate or mainstream media. You take particular aim at them uh, in the book, and you also take particular aim at what you call anti-social media. 
um, the Facebooks, the Twitters of this world. What's happened now with both of those uh, entities? Is there a sort of melding process that's going on where these so-called social media companies are becoming more and more like the corporate media? Yeah, well, yeah, and and I take a I have a, a huge distrust of the corporate press, and uh, and you and I even talked about that when I was in London a couple of years ago about the the role of of corporate press and how they behave. They have been uh, they they've been watching their viewership numbers drop um, massively here in the United States over the years, and rightly so. They're they're not to be trusted. Nobody should be watching them. But what we've seen is a blending of, like you said, social media starting to take on trusted and authoritarian sources of information, meaning CNN and Fox News and the BBC and these things, and putting them up to the top of a place like YouTube will will rank them higher because they're authoritative sources, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, and they'll put them in, in, in the queue that comes up first for you so that now you've gone, you've gone to an online video platform to get away from the corporate media and that's finding you there. And the reason why that's happening is because they're losing the battle on their television set so they're forced to go into um in, into online space in order to try and find those viewers but but if you're an organization like cnn cnn is so pathetic and so distrusted and so unwatched here in the united states that they had signed a multi-year deal with airports throughout the country to make it so that CNN was played on the television sets that you would watch while you were waiting for your plane. And they counted everybody that came through that terminal as a CNN viewer because they <laughs> needed the viewers so badly. Now that, that relationship has recently ended, but it just goes to show how pathetic uh, an organization like CNN is. And Americans, though slow, on the uptake are starting to figure this out and it's being reflected in their ratings. And of course, uh, like if you're if you're Brian Stelter at CNN, your nightly news show is describing what's going on at Fox News. So there's no creativity <laughs> even happening there too. So it's 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 a bit of a joke. The mainstream media uh, are pathological liars and sociopaths of the highest order. Their ratings reflect that, and they have nobody to blame but themselves. Isn't it amazingly hubristic for them to turn to uh, their rating agencies and say, actually, we're not going to do business with you anymore because they now know they can't go to their advertisers and hand on heart say, actually, these are the figures. If you're starting to use airport punters, as your audience. You, um, desperate stuff, isn't it? Just at a point where you don't think the airport experience can get any worse. You suddenly got this mob telling you how to think. I mean, I feel like the next step is for them to get uh, comatose hospital patients that can't get up out of their hospital beds. I mean, you're, they're looking for a captive audience everywhere they can get it. They're counting people that are currently overdosing on fentanyl as viewers. You know what I mean? It's, Holy it's insane. So, but, but that is, of course, what you get when you do this for year after year, decade after decade, you gaslight your viewers, you tell them, don't believe your eyes, don't believe what you see, uh, you come to us for information. When you're Chris Cuomo on CNN and you say, don't get into the WikiLeaks uh, documents. If you do, that is illegal. We're the only ones allowed to do it. We'll get into it and we'll disseminate that information for you. They think that they're the priest class, but what they figured is that nobody is interested in listening to their sermons anymore. The point is that when Gutenberg made his printing press uh, and then bypassed the priest class back in the Reformation, there was an opportunity for the average worshiper to have a direct relationship with God. 
The difficulty now, when social media rose, is that social media has also been co-opted. So you can't have that. There isn't that free and easy uh, relationship with the truth. Gets difficult, this, doesn't it? Especially when uh, the mainstream media have been so remiss and their trust capital is totally spent. So you go to social media hoping that it will be a collective of your friends and family members and that together you will get to the bottom of this information. Maybe you'll find a, a different source or a better source, and maybe you will. And social media has been fantastic for a lot of this. But we can't act too surprised when these social media platforms turn into some of the best uh, data collection uh, apparatuses we've ever seen because from their inception, that's how they were devised to be. If you're Google taking money from uh, Stanford Research Institute or you're, you're, you're getting this from VCs on Sand Hill Road, what you're going to find is that that money comes with strings attached. And when you invite the intelligence agencies to have a seat at your board, they're going to tell you how to behave and what to do. So social media is no longer uh, i think for a lot of people that are familiar with it it's no longer just some some free range place where you can exchange ideas these ideas are being carefully crafted and managed by fact checkers and i use that term extremely loosely uh and and other people in in the think tanks like the council on foreign relations and german marshall fund and and in even Atlantic Council, they're shaping policy for the social media platform. So you might want to get on there and, and have a good conversation about what you see happening around you, but they've set up the algorithms in a way so that your, your voice doesn't reach people anymore. And that is not accidental, that's by design. Charlie Robinson, welcome back to Renegade Inc. Great to be back. Let me just pick up this point now uh, about um, social media and manipulation of the cognitive map. How to get people the herd uh, and manipulate them, nudge them, no less, into uh, situations that they, you know, that, that are beneficial for the government, state, uh, not so much for the people. It's called managing democracy now. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that, those two words, but that's exactly what uh, they, they are doing, apparently. When it comes to Facebook uh, uh, and social media, you take particular aim in your book um, at uh, Facebook. And you look at a lot of the people who are working there, uh, and you also make the uh, jump between them and Obama uh, and the Democrats. Uh, Why do you make that link? Well, first, let me state that I'm not on the red team or the blue team here. I take, I'm not, I don't participate in, in those two sides. So I try to be as objective as I can. And the objective uh, state of Facebook is that it is a, the, much like that revolving door between uh, lower Manhattan and Washington, D.C., where Wall Street and, 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 and the lobbyists get together in DC to make policy, there's a revolving door between the Obama White House and Facebook. The, the list of, I, mean, I put a chart in the book with a list of people that had been in the Obama White House and now their positions inside of Facebook. Now, in, I had always thought that when people said, you know, the, the, the media is, is liberal, 
the liberal media. I just thought that was people on the right complaining that they weren't uh, getting their point across. Uh, they weren't hearing their, their perspective in the media, but it turns out that they're actually true. It's very heavily left-leaning and it's not, it's not limited to the corporate media either. Social media is that way as well. And that comes from these big think tanks that are told how to, you know, what to say and how to frame things. And you get in, you get down into, you know, real problems with who is backing these companies, Facebook, you know, who are they taking their marching orders from? Yeah, it's these think tanks as well, but, but who financed them? Who, who brought them into existence? So I, I do have a problem with Facebook because though amazing in its ability to connect the world, and, and, and we've never faulted them for making us the product. We understand the service is free. We become the product. We know they're mining us for our information and that's fine to an extent. I think we're comfortable with that relationship to an extent, but they've taken it a bit too far. They're now trying to manipulate our thoughts uh, by removing certain information that we might be interested in and promoting and elevating other information to create this echo chamber for us, uh, if, if you want to, uh, where it seems like everybody shares the same view. And if anybody gets outside of that established view, they must be insane. So they can actually shape reality by manipulating the thoughts and, and, and impulses of human beings. It's, it's really fascinating. They obviously have um, ties to artificial intelligence they brought that in so it's not just a, an accident that these things are happening these are these are made to happen and it, it's it's really the most uh, impressive form of mind control ever because we sign up for it we we populate their their information fields with all of our personal uh, effects and then we act surprised when they know how to uh, make us crazy how do you begin to start pushing back uh, against this? How does the average citizen who realizes uh, what you're saying is true, uh, uh, but also wants a social life and wants to be part of society, isn't a prepper, isn't one of the tinfoil hat brigade, you know, all that stuff. How, wh what's the measure for the average human being to say, okay, I know this is going on, this is how I'm gonna protect myself? Yeah. Well, first, the first step, like anything, is recognizing that you have a problem. I think a lot of people don't know that they have um, this abusive relationship with some of the some of the more important institutions in their life. The media they're in a they're in a horrible relationship with them where they're constantly being lied to. The government, if you describe the relationship that you have with your government in the way that you have, if you went to a therapist and spoke about it, like the way you have a relationship with your spouse, they would say, well, listen, you're in a, an abusive relationship and you need to get out of this. They're treating you poorly. You know, so, so if you can start to get people to wake up to the fact that some of the, the, institutions that they've always thought of as being on their side, the looking out for them. If you can get them to recognize that these, that they have much different ulterior motives, they're not looking out for you. They have, they need you to do things for them, but they don't care about you to the extent that you would hope that they do. So it's a, it's, it's sort of a wake up call, I think for a lot of people. And, and given what we've gone through over the last almost two years now, if people aren't recognizing that they've got a big problem with the relationship relationship that they have with, with the, their, the pharmaceutical industry, the media, social media, and the government, well, then maybe it's too late for them. Because if people are, are convinced or have convinced themselves that 
if we just vote harder, all of this will go back to normal, then they're, then they're going to be in for a rude awakening when they, when they come to realize that uh, the only way anything changes is if we demand that it changes. And the government is not in the business of giving us back our rights until we demand it. You open the solutions section of the book um, with this quote from Howard Zinn, civil disobedience is not our problem. Our problem is civil obedience. Our problem is that people all over the world have obeyed the diktats of leaders and millions have been killed because of this obedience. Our problem is that people are obedient all over the world in the face of poverty and starvation and stupidity and war and cruelty. Our problem is that people are obedient while the jails are full of petty thieves and the grand thieves are running the country. That is our problem. I had, a, uh, I had the opportunity to meet with Julian Assange's father and brother this summer. You wanna talk about somebody that, uh, that, that knows a thing or two about being disobedient. It's the only way out of this. Uh, the governments will push and push and push until they can't push any longer. It's frustrating that we're put in a situation where we have to do this. Now, some forms of disobedience are relatively innocuous and they don't require much conviction on the part of the person participating, and yet others do. And uh, when you release collateral murder video and, and know that that's going to submarine support for the war, you realize that you put your, the crosshairs on you, as Julian Assange did. And um, it's important for people to take whatever sort of motivation they can find and use that to get things going. Because where we stand right now is that none of this is going to change. The, the problems that you're experiencing in your life, the creeping authoritarianism, it's not gonna change because you just want it to go away. These people have a plan for us, and the best way for us to combat that is to recognize that we have an option. Do not comply with unjust orders. So we need to remember that there's, there's, there's an always the option to not participate. You know, E, none of the above, right? You can always, you can always uh, circle that. Like, you know, because if we leave it up to them, if we leave it up to the media and their partners in the government, they, they do things like frame wars should we invade Iran tomorrow, next week, or two weeks from now? You know, and you, you have to kind of remember, hey, there's another option here. And that is, we're not doing any of this. We're not participating in this uh, war with you, or we're not participating in COVID passports, or we're not, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to uh, do the things that you want us to do just because you want us to do that. We have to remember that we have the numbers. And if we decide that things end, they end. Reagan and Thatcher both uh, came with their idea of economics uh, and sitting in the sidecar was a line that was used regularly, which was Tina, there is no alternative. What you're saying is that there is an alternative. Um, the way you're urging people, if I've read this correctly, to think about what that alternative could be is to re-engage with their intuition. Is that about right? It is. And it's, it's incredibly important for the for the state or the controllers to detach you from that, to get you to a position where you don't trust yourself, you don't trust your instincts, you don't trust your heart, that if they can get you thinking, no, 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 all that stuff is woo-woo, that doesn't matter, listen to us. I mean, you have Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand saying, 
the only source of information that you should get should come from us. Anything else is not to be trusted. We are the only source of authority information. They do that when they're losing the grip on reality. They're losing control of this narrative. So, so it is simultaneously frustrating to have to go through all of these mandates and dictates. But I think if people recognize that this is what you do when things are not going well, they might take a little bit of comfort in knowing that because when you have to incentivize things like vaccines by giving people free donuts for a year, that is clearly not plan A. That is plan B or plan C. That is where you go when things are not going well. So, so I think that for people that are starting to feel maybe like, oh no, we, we could be losing this battle. I say, I say, I say go the other direction. The, the, the more insanity that we see the state trying to impose on us, the greater uh, realization we should have that they're forced to do that because things are not going according to their original plan, which is we're going to roll out these, I, we're going to roll out these these dictates. Everybody's going to follow them. They're going to do what we say, and then every, and everything's going to be fine. When people start to say no or refuse to comply, they have to go to these ridiculous. Uh, backup measures, which is, uh, you know, in America during the summer of, of 2021, we got the carrot. That was Krispy Kreme donuts and lottery tickets, and you get to do two laps around Talladega Speedway and all this good stuff. But I told people, get ready, because here comes the stick. When you, when, when you get to the point after, the, after all the lottery tickets have been given out, you're going to start to get the stick. And that's where we are right now. But just remember, they're only going to the stick because the carrots didn't work. And when the stick doesn't work, they don't have another plan after that. Charlie Robinson, uh, congratulations on Hippocrazy. Uh, uh, it's sad that you had to write it, but you have. Um, I'm sure it'd be another bestseller. One last thought for our viewers before you go. Uh, what's one thing that they keep in the forefront of their mind as they're navigating the lunacy? You got to keep a sense of humor about this. <laughs> the people that are running the show, man, they don't have a sense of humor, but we do. Listen, we're on the right side. If yeah. you know you're on the right side and you're you're on team humanity, you can't go wrong. So keep that in your in, in your thoughts and just recognize that it's going to get a little crazier before it gets better. But but uh, I have every reason to be optimistic about the way things are going and where we're headed. Charlie, again, congratulations on the book and thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ross.